Hello, this is Dr. Katherine Reed, and today we'll be mapping glutamate on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that is the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Katherine Reed. Katie Reed, PhD, is the executive director and founder of Unblind My Mind, a nonprofit that educates on the links between the foods we eat and the chronic illnesses we suffer. By applying her biochemistry training, Katie determines that certain ingredients common in the Western diet were associated with her daughter's autistic behaviors. Seeing the profound effect of diet on the brain with many of her clients, she has become a provocateur questioning medical approaches and food manufacturing practices relating to health. Katie has received nationwide recognition for her findings, including two TEDx talks, various radio broadcasts, and international press. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Oh, thank you for having me. So this can be a bit of a confusing topic because we get into both chemistry and biochemistry when we talk about glutamate, but can you just start us out by talking into what glutamate is? Yes. Glutamate is a an amino acid, which are the building blocks that make up proteins. And glutamate has, you know, a very special role in our bodies. It also, you know, acts as a uh, neurotransmitter where right. it activates not only our nerve cells, but also other cells that have glutamate receptors that would activate that cell function. For example, in the pancreas, you know, it, it can release insulin and that's not a nerve cell. And so it also is very important in energy regulation and metabolism in the body as an amino acid. So it's got a very important role in our body and uh, we need it and we need it to be regulated so that we can be nice, happy, healthy people. So there's sort of what's considered a Goldilocks principle when it comes to glutamate. And I don't know if you would put it in those same terms, but can you talk about why we need it, but why there can be too much and the kind of issues that can arise. Yeah. And it's interesting because our own bodies can make all the glutamate that we need. Mm. And it's important to be in the area that we need it. So 
um, because it is a neurotransmitter, it's acting as a messenger or signals, our own cells can actually secrete glutamate and, you know, create a signal such as a stress response or, you know, kind of signaling, hey, move your hands, whatever that, you know, nerve cell activation or our brain is kind of trying to communicate uh, to the rest of our body. Um, so we make all we need when we need it, where we need it. And that's why it's considered a non-essential amino acid when it comes into the food intake. We do get it through food, and that's my mission is to make people aware of how this neurotransmitter is actually in the food supply and is very much linked to addiction and inflammation. And those are just really important messages for people to be aware of. Where is it in the food supply? And it's not very transparent. And where is it in the food supply? Yeah, in the American diet, you know, it's mostly in processed foods and particularly processed proteins. So by processing these proteins, they can come up with a very abundant supply of free glutamate, meaning it's not bound by peptide bonds in like a protein structure. And then it's free to act on our, you know, nerve cells, even starting with our taste receptors on our tongue. Mm. Um, and so the signals get transmitted immediately. And it starts to activate all sorts of different digestive functions. So when it is in the food supply, let's say naturally, it can help you know, with digestive processes, motility function, signaling the brain that there's protein coming in when it's in like natural amounts. The issue is when it's in amounts that are overstimulatory that are kind of causing almost a stress response or different metabolic pathways mm -hmm. related to the you know enrichment or artificial load coming in from the processing of proteins and adding it in you know just straight up MSG obviously is another you know way it comes in but it's mostly in the American diet coming in from processed proteins. And if we're seeing the result of that excess, I, I believe it's considered an exo, at like, what's the word I'm looking for? Ex Excitotoxic. Yeah. Excitotoxic, it, it can, right. Exactly. A tongue twister. But yes, it can excite the cells to death. Um, but before they die, they end up being very sick and they're under, you know, stress that the, you know, it alters metabolism. Um, you know, I'm writing a book on, you know, just all of the various ways it can hit people. And we're all in unique individuals. And so we might have a weak link somewhere that makes us more vulnerable in one area than the other or in you know, one system more so than the other. Um, you know, but at some point, it's going to be toxic to the entire population eating it at a certain amount. We just haven't had long term studies looking at the load of MSG in the American diet and, you know, its consequences. Um, you know, there are studies starting to come out in different countries, but it, it boils down to the processing of the food. It's not transparent as to how much glutamate is in the food. Um, and therefore, people aren't really aware of how they might be able to better balance glutamate signaling and um, well, inflammation, you know, has a huge role in this whole uh, story, too. Right. Um, and, you know, that's important. And, and if you think even with our, you know, very relevant COVID-19, you know, issue right now is that the people have at highest risk are those that have an underlying inflammatory condition. And so diet plays a huge role with kind of even minimizing the severity of your disease, um, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, let's just talk coronavirus, you know, for today, right. um, and it, this is a, a huge way for people to, you know, bring down their inflammatory load, make them less vulnerable to severe illnesses when they do get exposed. And glutamate is part of signaling the inflammatory pathway 
and how it's really how the neurological and inflammatory systems are linked through this molecule. Yeah. And there's so much we can look at there with neuroinflammation. When we think about the triggers and the triggers can be the inflammation itself. It can be the foods we're eating in excess. Are there other triggers in a person's life or lifestyle that would make them more susceptible to the overload or overwhelm of the glutamate in their system? Certainly, you know, having a chronic disease of an inflammatory or neuroinflammatory condition like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's Mm. or autism or ADHD, you know, you're going to be more vulnerable to the glutamate in the food supply because it's already a glutamate signaling excess going on. Um, But even to start or initiate, you know, something even like a physical injury can make you more vulnerable because it's involved in the pain and inflammatory response. You know, if you're adding more of that to the system, it's just causing, you know, exacerbating the inflammation. Um, You know, stress can be, you know, we're dealing, everybody's dealing with a lot of stress right now. Um, Even being ill, you know, you're going to be inflamed. And so if you're eating something in your foods that's causing more inflammation, like lots of glutamate, it can further exacerbate the condition. And there's a lot of obviously genetic predispositions, but anything that's involved with glutamate receptor maps, these are like literally maps on our cells, you know, uh, receptor where glutamate has a a map throughout there. And the more glutamate you're getting in from the food supply, you're actually altering that map. And that is literally changing you neurologically and maybe making you more vulnerable to inflammation because it's kind of signaling, it's signaling stress. Before we get into some of the ways that we counter some of the signaling with nutrition and with diet and lifestyle modification, can you share any of the stories that you've encountered in your research? I know you have a personal story, but I'm assuming many other people have reached out to you and shared their stories about their impact or the impact of excess glutamate on their body and brain. Yeah. So I do work with people and families and individuals, um, you know, to try to help them empower them with the knowledge of changing foods um, for improving health. Um, You know, I started this journey because my daughter was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. And a lot of my clients that I work with are parents that have children with autism. And, you know, what I'm looking at is a lot of these inflammatory and excitatory sort of symptoms. For example, with autism, the the motor stimming or vocal stimming or repetitive behaviors, um, you know, the OCD nature of just getting stuck in the thoughts, Mm -hmm. uh, sleep issues, you know, inflammatory would be more like dark eye circles under the eyes, Mm -hmm. um, skin issues, itchiness, Mm -hmm. plain not looking really well, like swollen sometimes in the face. And some of the stories are, you know, the ones that I love the most to share and really didn't have an understanding of it until I saw it with my own daughter is how much the food was linked to language delays. Mm. And, you know, that's not something that just really, you know, quite, you know, I mean, who would think that the food you eat may result in a language delay? Right. Um, And so these, you know, kids, when they get on better diets, and this also happened with my, my daughter, is the speech comes along. And, you know, we're talking about some children who don't have speech at the age of seven and are then able to speak. 
so one word sentences to two words, three words, it rapidly starts to you know, increase as soon as you get rid of the inflammatory signals that are interfering with language development. So when you're thinking about cleaning up the diet, I mean, we have our tactics of where we're looking at the inflammatory foods, but through a lens where you're looking at glutamate as one of the primary instigators, where are you starting and can you kind of walk us through where you might ultimately go? And does that include supplementation that actually protects against uh, the glutamate signaling? How, how do you think about kind of the cascade from beginning to end through the lens of glutamate? I work with people to kind of ultimately remove processed foods, but it goes beyond that because I am involving the microbiome. And, mm-hmm. you know, the microbiome releases a lot of neurotransmitters too, and it plays a huge role in this neurotransmitter balance, including with glutamate. And so, you know, it's about definitely thinking about, okay, what is the microbiome producing? When we talk about even about whole food ratios going into the body and making sure we're thinking about their fermentation products. So not wanting excess of glutamate, but also not wanting excess of alcohol, which mm-hmm. is can be a very, you know, dominant uh, metabolite if we've got too much sugars going on in the diet and there's small intestinal, you know, microbial growth. And so I, I try to really think about the whole gastrointestinal tract, how food's going through, where are the microbial components entering and where they should be entering but really cleaning up, getting rid of processed foods, thinking about lots of fiber to feed the microbes in the large intestine. And the main thing with a lot of the younger people that I'm working with is getting them off the foods that are addicting. You know, obviously that's going to be a lot of uh, processed foods, but I can have a lot of kids who might be eating bananas all day long. Now, while that might not be a glutamate issue directly, you know, it might be producing alcohol, which then can actually induce an inflammatory response, which increases glutamate intrinsically, internally. And so I'm dealing with both components, both from the food and what is the body doing with releasing glutamate and why. And so I'm trying to balance both. But yeah, through food, clean, 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 lots of vegetables. And with kids, we're sneaking it in anywhere. Waffles, you know, soups, marinara sauce, we're sneaking in lots of green leafy vegetables and making sure we've got lots of nutrients. And that's how I like to protect the cells, not through supplementation, but really trying to think about how to get it through foods. And then there are, you know, metabolic tests we can do that would then allow us to see whether or not there's a specific need for a nutrient because, yeah, nutritional deficiencies or insufficiencies can certainly cause more stress to the cell and might make it more prone to be secreting glutamate and signaling a stress response. So we want to look at, you know, an individual's need for nutrients, not just throw the kitchen sink at it. Oh, I want to just applaud that. I mean, a couple of things you said there, Katie, just the symbiosis. What I always like to say is it's not about the food, but where the food meets the physiology, of course, that comes into the mechanical, the chemical, the structural, and the microbial, right? So where are we putting food into? And that's the digestive system and the microbial terrain is so important. So thank you for honoring that and the work that you do. And also that notion that we don't want to throw the kitchen sink at things, especially in these uh, very sensitive bodies and systems. So we do want to look to see where there might be nutrient deficiencies. There's certain nutrients that, as 
I understand it, are pretty commonly deficient, whether that's magnesium as a mineral or vitamin D, that also work in relationship to glutamate. Is is that correct? Yeah, like magnesium, you know, especially if somebody has cytatory behaviors like let's just say seizures or, you know, epilepsy or stimming or OCD anxiety, you know, these are some, you know, of the stimulatory sort of symptoms, the magnesium is going to be depleted fairly quickly, because the magnesium helps bring that neuron down to resting potential, calcium can excite it with certain ion receptors for glutamate, and magnesium brings it down. So you kind of burn through the magnesium trying to calm these, you know, nerves down. Um, And so I, again, still look to food, there's a lot of magnesium rich foods there. And if if it consumed in enough quantities, it really actually is more than a lot of the magnesium supplements on the market. Because the magnesium, again, you have an ion or an anion that's going to need to be, you know, with that cation. And that's not necessarily very natural. That's not usually how our bodies are getting exposed to it with like magnesium citrate or glycinate or whatever the, you know, anion partner might be. So again, I like to do it through foods, you know, lots of leafy greens, um, both, you know, vegetables and herbs, a lot of the, the squash seeds. So a lot of people don't think about squash seeds, mm-hmm. but I'm like, you know, hey, I'm having butternut squash for dinner. I'm throwing the squash seeds in my smoothie the next morning. Love it. Excellent, you know, magnesium and zinc. So it is kind of thinking about where these magnesium sources might be naturally. And then if people want to follow up with like a urine test or a hair test to kind of look at their minerals, you know, we can kind of look at that. But, you know, normally I'm finding magnesium helps calm even with, you know, digestion issues or sleep or you know, just looking at it through the foods. Love it. So final words, Katie, I know you are on a mission to educate us about glutamate and about the problems it can cause in the body, in the brain, and that there are some issues with the food labeling. Any final words that you wish coaches and clinicians could know about glutamate? Definitely more awareness about what people are eating when they're trying to help people recover health. I think, you know, this is something that should be brought into everybody's recovery. And the, you know, where the glutamate is, I mean, like I said, if we removed processed foods, that's a significant amount of it. And just thinking about the microbiome component with with ratios, but uh, it is really trying to bring food back into health, you know, full stop. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> um, agree there, more. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's not even just about glutamate, right? We have yes. so many issues there. But uh, and I and I think that really actually would go a long way with a lot of the neuropsychiatric neuro, you know, disorders that we've got going on inflammatory issues, you know, and we're spending, you know, just our, our gross domestic product now, just on a financial level is going so much towards health on, on a lot of things that are really not helping people recover health. And it really, it does take a lifestyle. And the more we kind of help empower people to do that, I, I really do think we can make a difference not only to people's health, but just society. I agree. I couldn't agree more and beautifully said. Thank you so much for joining us, Katie. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me and nice talking to you again.
The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode by email, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear on the next podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.
perfect. Yay. Thank you. Um, we will let you know when it releases. We'll send you an email and, you know, you can do whatever you want to or not want to do with it. Um, but we release two podcasts a week and our Wednesday releases are part of our nutrition therapy series. So you'll be a part of that. You actually could fit in either one. Our Friday, uh, series goes into some deeper scientific topics, but I think this will be a great one for our nutrition therapy series. So we'll let you know. And if you want to tune into the podcast, I'd love to have you take a listen. Oh, that, that's great. Yeah. And I, I'll send it to my website people to put it on my website too. That'd be awesome. Perfect. Thank you. And I hope you oh. have some good soup tonight. Oh, thank you. Yes, um, a peaceful day and yes. night to you. Um, thank you. And the world. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. okay. All right. Bye, Bye-bye. Katie.